Hello. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd be really grateful if you rated and reviewed it on your favourite podcatcher. Doing so helps ensure this is heard by even more supporters and even more housing and support professionals. And that helps us in our mission to keep the work of the Lead Worker Peer Mentor Service going. And thank you for listening. Let's get back to this episode. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to Challenging, a new podcast by Shelter, reflecting on an ambitious and life-changing service run with Birmingham Changing Futures Together that helped people with multiple and complex needs out of homelessness. So episode five finished with looking at gaps and how people fall through them. So what I have witnessed both personally and with those I've supported was what I call the chicken and the egg question. And just as the question really doesn't have a definitive answer, I believe it's the same conundrum when we look to diagnose mental health or substance use is also prevalent. So what's a gap? As defined by Google, it's a space or interval a break in continuity. So then I said, well, okay, Google, how do you bridge a gap? The answer was, to bridge the gap is to connect two otherwise unrelated things by adding something or by finding common ground. And this is a description I would use to describe the League Worker Peer Mentor Project. Two totally different backgrounds, one common goal to support multiple and complex needs. Thanks for introducing this episode, Lee, on barriers and gaps. In this episode, we'll look at systemic barriers and gaps. Staff out there that work in mainstream services that just aren't aware of what clients are eligible to or you know, what they're legally obliged to have or what other services there are and how to refer them in. And personal and interpersonal barriers and gaps. So these little things that may be little to somebody else, but it was a big thing for me, do you know what I mean, as an individual and, and learning how to use this platform uh, and interacting with people in, in, a, in a polite manner or, or connecting with people. And... We'll talk to people who were involved in the Lead Worker Peer Mental Service, who worked hard to overcome barriers and close gaps, not just in their clients' lives, but in their own lives too. Those people have gone on to continue working in support services, and they'll touch on the work that still needs to be done. You'll hear from Earl and Samir, who used to be peer mentors and have gone on to some exciting work with the NHS, which you'll hear plenty more about in the next episode. You'll also hear from Kevin from the Liaison and Diversion Service. But first, let's talk to Jan. You might remember him from episode two on multiple and complex needs. He's the Learning and Evaluation Coordinator, otherwise known as our man with the stats how regularly clients came in and out of the program you know and sort of disengaged and went missing or whatever and then came back and obviously a lot of the services that that are in Birmingham sort of mainstream services they'll exclude clients you know if they don't turn up for three times or whatever or they'll sort of be annoyed with the client if they if they generally disengage but I think the fact that we never expelled any of our clients you know um and we and there was loads of clients that sort of um, disengaged and re-engaged three or four times that ended up having a really positive outcome, which I think was just a really good bit of learning that, you know, you're speaking to clients and it is just that sort of the time has got to be right and so on. So I think that was really interesting. Um, and I think probably finally the other one that was just like a real sort of quick win that I think we can hit 
straight away was just the lack of information that clients have. And also speaking to a lot of staff out there that work in mainstream services that just aren't aware of what clients are eligible to or you know what they're legally obliged to have or what other services there are and how to refer them in. So, you know, if, 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 um, if staff at services, you know, don't know what, what support services is out and about for their other needs that the client may have, well, obviously the client themselves aren't, isn't going to know. So I think just that making sure that we get really clear information out to clients about what, what support is out there for them and making sure that staff in all the different services know about other services that are around in Birmingham that could help that client. So I think those are the sort of the main bits for me that really sort of jumped out. That's really interesting. I mean, you, you said there about um, what they're available, what, what what they're eligible for. But I mean, even touching on things that they needed. So going, you know, simple things in the beginning, like um, identification. So people were going to services, for example, and being turned away just for having no ID. So, so for example, there that is the the, the start and end of their journey, if you like. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. And yeah. obviously, you know, I think we all, you know, we can all appreciate that 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 you might go into a service and you're not quite eligible for that service, or you haven't got a particular thing for that service. But so many of the staff that we spoke to, you know, was just saying, yeah, they would they would pretty much just turn the clients away straight away because they just didn't know where to direct them to. And that's the sort of thing that we really need to get better at I think as services to make sure that you know you don't just turn a client away for having no ID you tell them exactly where to go or you know you just you help them to make sure that they get the service they require you don't just say you're not eligible now go away yeah I think that's really important that's obviously a lot of the stuff that the the lead workers and peer mentor did was um, advocating on behalf of clients you know and making sure they were there with them so that if that ever did happen you know that, that that lead worker peer mentor would know exactly what to do right we need to get your ID we need to know where you know, we can know where to apply to get your birth certificate, uh, a reprint of that, or whatever it happened to be, you know, and needing that full-on support. But ideally, you'd like to think that the support service that they initially went to would just be able to sort of help them in the first place. Speaking to the clients, it was, it was, it was about, like I say, the, the impact and the fact that um, without that lived experience, clients potentially, you know, had never engaged with certain services, you know what I mean? So there was nothing that potentially a service could have done by that point. So no matter how, you know, some services are absolutely fantastic. You know, it's not a criticism of services that clients haven't engaged or whatever. Some mm. services are brilliant. But it was, it was, I suppose it was just surprising just how many clients sort of really just did not trust services full stop. No, no matter how good some of the frontline workers were or how much a service was bending backwards because the damage had been done often in earlier life and so on, you know, there was such a lack of trust. It was absolutely incredible. And again, just, I, was, I guess I was sort of, you don't, you don't, you can't put in stats because if somebody has never um, engaged with services, a lot of the, a lot, a lot of them, you haven't got a baseline to compare against. They're almost invisible people, if you know what I mean. So the fact that, these people weren't getting anything at all that they were entitled to, you know, not on benefits, no housing, no food, no nothing. And then to speak with a, a peer mentor, somebody with lived experience to actually, and, and how long that took at times, you know, as I said earlier about sort of the three strikes and you're out that some services may use. I also think there has to be such a massive patience, you know, again, this, the sort of stories about when I've spoken to staff and, 
people on the front line there that have just gone out into the city centre, walking around town, just looking for people that they'd spoken to a few days before, and then just doing that on a every day for weeks before they'd even, you know, really sign a form to say that they maybe would like to take part in the lead work of PMN service. So I think that's the sort of stuff that we can't get through the stats, if you like, you know, that sort of the, the groundwork that needs to go on to build up the support. Throughout the four and a half years of the service, virtually all clients had issues with substance misuse. Those with the highest initial need remained engaged with lead worker peer mental service for longer, evidence that the service was able to retain clients who had the highest need. Of these 320 clients, 35 left the service and subsequently re-engaged a second time. 11 of these clients left and re-engaged a third time, while two clients left and re-engaged a fourth time. You can't try and make multiple and complex needs fit into rigid structures. You need flexibility. To find out more, check our show notes for a link to the full evaluation of the service. Now let's get back to the interviews. My role um, was to actually identify with the clientele that we would come in touch with and basically being given the okay to let these individuals know I'm just you and hopefully that then allows barriers to be broken down and then some hope to be passed on how how it was to me previously that um, no change is possible and then if the individuals aren't engaging in services and what have you try and encourage them to I don't know whether it be get a benefits claim because some of the people wouldn't even claim benefits how about getting a script if you haven't actually got one do you need help in finding somewhere to live? Because some people might be quite comfortable living homeless and all the stuff that we know about, right? And then because um, my personal lived experience has experienced all that lot, being able to help navigate the individuals through and letting them know what to expect when they do start engaging with certain services and what have you, and almost like... Um, reassuring and hand-holding in a way that no you'll be okay and you'll be okay now as well because you've got people supporting you You, you're not on your own no more if you choose to engage because ultimately we can't force anybody you know i mean but when people did come to us who really wanted the help and support they got it do you think the project lead worker peer mentor as influence systems change we had some real, real hard-to-reach individuals on our caseload, and we, we noticed there was an issue with a lot of our individuals were homeless and what have you, and they were going up to this service, and they were finding that their cases had been closed and what have you. Being able to sit on um, the chief executive meetings and challenge this, where I've gone with the head of BVSC, who was the overseer of our project. and Natalie Allen. Okay, Yes, Natalie, and with our office manager, Amy. She's not with the shelter no more. And from that, from challenging her and giving them real case evidence, not just hearsay, of people that have had cases closed because they haven't been um, making contact and whatever. We're working with these individuals. If you can't find them, please contact us and we will take it on ourselves to go and find the individuals and try and make sure they turn up for appointments that they may or may not know that they've actually got. That service provider created a homeless outreach team. Well, that's really, really good. It's a really uh, insightful view. I, I appreciate that. All. I'm going to have a chat with Samir today. Samir is an STR worker for the Liaison Diversion Team. 
and again like i mentioned with jay i remember samir starting as a peer mentor so how are you today sam i'm, I'm doing all right you know i'm working from home today um and i'm quite well in myself to be honest it's nice to hear man in the challenging time so, yeah definitely man i guess before we move on and <clears throat> you tell me about obviously um some of the stuff that you're doing now i'd like to try and take you back uh, a couple of years i think it is now maybe um Tell us, like, you know, some of your, some of the needs and some of the experiences you had, and then what brought you into like peer mental work. So yeah, that that's a really important question because, like, taking it back, and I want to take it like it's about the availability and being ready to be employed. Do you know what I mean? So before I was ready to be employed as a peer peer worker or peer mentor. So the title in the shelter uh, when we got employed was peer mentor. Uh, so when we before I got employed, obviously I had substance misuse addiction for about 22 years in and out of the criminal justice system uh, from a young age, from the age of probably the first time I got arrested, I was probably eight years old. Uh, and then and then that continuous journey throughout the criminal justice system and even suffered mental health through the process. Uh, I had enough, do you know what I mean? And I had to change the way I live and, and some of the consequences that have come through my addiction and stuff. And I had to make that personal decision that, look, you know, I need to do something different. And uh, I came into recovery, and I, I've been, in, I've been, in, I've been in recovery for the coming up to five years for the abstinence of all substances. My mental health uh, got a lot better. Uh, I've been in trouble for over the about fourteen years, and that's kind of in a nutshell. But. I'm, what I'd done through that 18 months journey was a really important and integral part for me to be ready for employment. As you're aware, the peer mentor, compared to a lot of different organizations, the shelter lead worker peer mentor model was paid peer mentors and you had to have a certain amount of uh, about yourself in your personal journey, uh, voluntary work and stuff like that <clears throat> before you was even considered to be employed through them i think it's an important part of, of, of if you're going to come into employment for the first time uh ever in your life because like i could take it back about using a bank card you know, and i was used to using live cash you know what i mean and uh and i wasn't used to having in a bank account and stuff like that do you know what i mean and uh and it's like okay then learning how to put a pin number and not being paranoid do you know what i mean I remember one of our uh, one of our colleagues that's now employed with us as an STR worker that was a, a peer mentor, part of the lead worker peer uh, mentor. Uh, for an example, I remember he was in Spain, and I was paranoid to use the bank ca cash machine. And he goes, "What? What's wrong with you, man? Do you know what I mean? You're not living like that anymore. Do you know what I mean?" Mm -hmm. So these little things and that, and so this is the stuff that I had to relearn. Do you know what I mean? And 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 not have a burner phone and use a smartphone, do you know what I mean? And, and, and like not being paranoid around that stuff, do you know what I mean? So these little things that may be little to somebody else, but it was a big thing for me, do you know what I mean, as an individual, and, and, and learning how to use a smartphone, uh, interacting with people in, in, a, in a polite manner or, or connecting with people. And, 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 and I live in the same area, early. I haven't moved out from my area and that, so... Uh, me I had to change my whole network of friends as well like i said earlier on but i had to build that confidence and, and stuff like that and learn how to uh, to communicate to be honest and be in touch with yeah, i think it i think it's difficult because uh 
I've done another podcast with, with uh, Nick and he was saying very similar things to what you're saying. I think it's sometimes difficult to put into words um, how, how hard it is for somebody that's come from like 20 years of like learning to live a certain way to actually kind of make them change in the life. It's really difficult, isn't it? Okay, so today we're joined by Kevin Heffman. He's a programme leader for Birmingham NHS Liaison Diversion Services. So, hi Kev, thanks for joining us. No, you're welcome. So, there are reluctances from organisations about employing people with lived experience. You know, it's seen maybe as a bit of a gamble. So, what inspired you to take that chance? Well, I guess, Lee, maybe I should have shared that um, I'm a mental health nurse by professional background. And I've always had a really strong value base around understanding people's individual narratives and really the importance of the uniqueness of every single individual. And that's the only way that we gather the information that helps us understand how we connect and find the right solutions for individuals. Mm. For me, developing peer roles allows us to build a workforce that offers sometimes shared perspectives that can enable a whole new conversation and experience to emerge. So I guess in simple terms, Lee, you know, my inspiration is without it, I, I, I don't believe we're doing everything that we could do to find the right solutions for people that have um, real vulnerabilities. Brilliant. So, so, so that kind of the next question is, so if there were any barriers within the NHS, I mean, how did you, how did you overcome these? And did you have to beg, plead, speak to people? How did that kind of then discussions take place? Okay. Um, I'm going back a few years now, so I'm trying to remember the begging uh, bit. Uh, <laughs> I probably did that, Lee, at some stage. <laughs> but um, I, I guess one of the initial tensions was for the NHS, it was the HR systems and the ability to recruit people because actually the processes often excluded applicants because of issues, for example, um, DBS checks and people not getting through those um, in, in the right way. It's fair to say that, um, and certainly across the West Midlands and beyond, Many of our L&D services are um, provided via mental health trusts. And mental health trusts often had a, a pretty good record of employing people with a lived experience of mental health. But when you add the requirement of, we need the peer workers to have a history of offending, that brought an added complication. And actually, when we first started looking at this in Birmingham, it was an insurmountable one with the trusts. So actually, the way that we overcame it, Lee, was to come and connect with our third sector and shelter were just this wonderful oasis where by working in partnership and collaborating, shelter became the organisation that allowed us to embark on a peer worker program by positively employing those individuals. Brilliant, Kev, that's a, that's a great answer. And I think an insight for other organisations that may struggle 
and like a, a route round it. Thanks for that. Since early 2015, the Lead Worker Peer Mentor Service has provided personalised support for individuals facing multiple and complex needs in Birmingham by breaking down barriers and closing gaps. Birmingham Changing Futures Together found that the Lead Worker Peer Mentor model creates social value well in excess of its cost through improvements to the personal well-being of service users, reduction in public expenditure on a variety of services, and social and economic benefits to the wider public in Birmingham. In fact, Birmingham Changing Futures Together estimates that the service created benefits equivalent to 3.2 million for its clients and the wider public, compared with a cost of 2.9 million. What that means is for every one pound spent, one pound and 11 pence of social value was created. To find out more, check our show notes for a link to the full social cost benefit analysis of the entire Lead Worker Peer Mental Service. Or visit changingfuturesbham.co.uk, navigate yourself to our work, find LWPM continuation strategy, and there you'll find the evaluation. Next time on Challenging, we'll talk to former peer mentors who've gone on to work with the NHS as part of the Liaison and Diversion Service, which has also adopted the Lead Worker Peer Mentor model. See you next time.